You are listening to a Live City Church podcast, and we hope you'll experience Jesus today. We are excited to have you join our extended online church family. If you would like further information or wish to access more content, please connect with us on our Live City Church Facebook page or visit us at livecitychurch.com. This morning, um, we're gonna. The message this morning has got a, a few uh, questions and it's got a, a few scriptures. So I'm hoping that um, they're gonna raise something up in you. Something's gonna rise up that's never risen up before. Um, and the first, uh, the first question I have is, how do you see the future of Christianity? I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the end. We know what happens at the end, right? Jesus comes back, and he uh, destroys the enemy, and he separates the sheep from the goats. Amen? But what's going to happen to Christianity in five years' time, ten years' time, maybe a hundred years' time? Most importantly, just before Jesus returns. It's... It's something that would require a lot of scriptures, you know, to show you. But I, what I want to use is a, a small illustration just so that I can give you an overview of what I believe that God is saying and what the scriptures say about the future of Christianity. And it involves uh, a sport because we love sports and whether you're a woman or f- male or female, you love sports. So I'm going to use a particular sport, soccer, because we all understand soccer and it's universal, it's male and female. So we... We are playing soccer. We're playing a game, right? And you are the team members, all right? Not only are you the team members, but you are a part of a team that is the greatest team, soccer team that ever existed. You are amazing. You do not understand what failure is in soccer. You are the all blacks of soccer. Invincible. You can do anything, all right? Yeah. I got, I got the Kiwis on my side now. <laughs> They're listening. <laughs> but, you know, this whole concept of, of playing the game, you, it's just so easy for you. You've never lost. You've never even con- had the concept of losing in your brain. And so here you are, once again, in the finals, World Cup finals, and you're playing the game and you start. And, of course, the first half goes just the way you wanted it to go. You are 8-1 up in the, in the game straight away. And at halftime, you're all in the, in the, in the in, in, at halftime there, you're all, you know, high-fiving each other. This is amazing. This is great. Let's, let's break the world record and how, much we can, how many goals we can score against somebody in the final. That's how pumped up you are. And so you go on to the second half of the, of the field. And all of a sudden, one of your key players takes a hit and gets taken off. And then all of a sudden, another key player gets taken off. And the opposition suddenly smells something and there's an opening and they score against you. And of course, you are reeling because you've never had a goal scored against you. You don't even know what to do. What's just happened? A goal scored against you. And next minute, they score again and then score again and bam, again, again, again. And next minute, it's, it's evens. It's eight all. And you guys don't know. You don't know what what the heck's going on? You don't know what to do. And they score again. And for the first time in your life, your life, you're losing. You are losing. And they score again. And they score again. And now your teammates are hanging their heads. 
They cannot believe what's happened to them. They're feeling so dejected. And with five minutes to go, some of them have even walked off the field in shame and in disgust. And the others are just trying to stop a complete annihilation. You've gone from completely whipping these people to being annihilated. But all of a sudden, one of your team members, one who is least expected to do so, finds a way through and scores. And then he scores again. And then suddenly your team realizes a bit of hope again. So you, you, you get behind them and suddenly you're in unity again and you score and you score. And in the dying moment, you win. Wow. How amazing is that? How amazing is it to, to, to come from behind and win? You know that feeling? It's, it feels so good. I want to ask you this question. If you knew when you were playing this game, if you were somehow able to predetermine the end result, would you play the game any differently? Would you still hang your head? Would you still be hopeless? Would you walk off the field? Or would you endure somehow without knowing how, but there will be victory in the end? What if I said to you that this is the story that resembles Christianity? And what if I said to you that you and me, this generation and your children, we've just entered into the second half of play? Do you know, if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, his story resembles the game too. Think about it. He came out of the desert. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he went straight into ministry. And he was on top of his game. Man, they loved him. You know, he was healing people. He was, he was, he was you know, providing food for the thousands. They loved him. They want to make him king. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. He was on top of his game. He was winning. And right up to the, you know, when he sent out the 72, it kind of ends the, the, the first half of play with the 72 come back that he sent out. And they were just like, Jesus, this is amazing. We saw demons fly out of people. We saw people healed. Yeah, Jesus. But then the second half began. And there were some signs of opposition. The Pharisees, the lawmakers, the Sadducees, they wanted him dead. They, they, he was robbing their power. He was making them look foolish. And they wanted him gone. And then all of a sudden, you see Jesus arrested, questioned, and put on a cross. And all his disciples were like, whoa, what's going on? All of a sudden, we're losing. We're losing now. What's happening? Why is he on a cross? He's supposed to, he's supposed to be the king of all of us. He's supposed to rescue us all. And then he breathes his last breath and he dies. And, and, and all the disciples are scattered. They, they don't even know what to say. They're just like ashamed. They, they're disgusted. They, this, they, they feel, maybe they feel like they've been deceived. I don't know. But then in the dying moments, no, 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 no. Not in the dying moments. After the dying moment, something amazing happens. We call it the resurrection. And 
Jesus comes alive and he whoops some devil butt. He kicks the butt. This is the story of Christianity. And I'm going to come back to that because this is kind of like an overview of, of where I want you to uh, where I want you to constantly be pointed as you've seen the story of Christianity. If you are a new Christian and I've kind of just gone and like and messed up a whole bunch of things for the way you're thinking, I didn't mean to. I'm giving you the story as it's written. I'm giving you the story as Jesus Christ has proclaimed it to be, as the prophets have spoken it. I want you to know that Jesus Christ will have victory. But it's how we get there is what Christ is interested in. Let me ask you another question. What do you think is the greatest risk or threat that we have as, as Christians? What's the greatest th threat to our faith? Yeah. It is definitely ourselves, but I'm looking for something more. I mean, is it persecution? Is it uh, idolatry? Is it uh, temptations? Is it lust? Is it disobedience? What is the greatest threat that's coming at us? As Christians, somebody said apathy. You know, as Aussies, we've coined a word that's really good and it describes what the biggest threat that we have to, to us. Tanya, have you got that image? It's all right. It'll come up just now. This word that Aussies have coined, she'd be right, mate. There's a problem with this word because it actually leads you to think that it's positive. Everything's going to work out for you, but it also leaves you vulnerable because everything doesn't work out. The Webster Dictionary says, she be right, which is, another, which is actually just the word for complacency. It says this, somebody who is complacent is somebody who is overly content. The literal meaning of the word, the, 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 Latin, the Latin root for complacency is very pleased with oneself. Very pleased with oneself. Complacent people are pleased, especially with oneself and one's merits, advantages, or situation, and are often without awareness of some potential danger or, or defect or self-satisfaction. Complacent people or communities do just enough to maintain what they have. They're satisfied with the status quo and the current state they're in, and they never push themselves or their relationship to become any better or stronger. In a nutshell, complacency is when you begin to love the fruit of your initial love. It's when, when you're pursuing something out of passion and you eventually get it and then you love the fruit of what it is. And you forget to 
pursue the passion again. The Apostle Paul said, uh, Apostle Paul said this in Romans 1.25. He said, people have traded God for a lie. They have begun to worship the things that God created rather than the creator themselves, himself. You know, we see complacency in just about every aspect of our lives. I'm guilty of being complacent. I'm complacent in my work. I'm complacent in my marriage. I'm complacent with my kids. I'm complacent with so many different things. And if we look at our lives, we'll find that complacency is, is amongst us all over the place. It's in business. You know, some of the biggest businesses have failed through complacency. This is not something that I've determined. This is well documented. Some of the biggest companies have described the reason why they fell from the heights of their glory is because they became complacent. Think about companies like Kodak, who owned the film and camera industry. What about, what about Motorola or, or uh, Blackberry, who owned the, in the, the, the mobile phone industry? All of them, Sears, there's so many of them, all of them have fallen from their heights because they became complacent. They became overly content with what they had, and they forgot to chase what they were initially chasing. Kodak, for instance, they, they, um, they used to have cameras with film. And one day, one of their technicians actually invented a digital camera. They took that digital camera, the board took it, they put it in a safe, they locked the key, they locked it and threw away the key because they did not want to mess with their current success. And what happened? Somebody else invented one, and very shortly, they were out of business. Complacency kills. What about in relationships? You know, sometimes we think that the biggest problem in relationships is that people have wandering eyes or adultery, but those are just the outworkings of complacency. When you start a relationship, you're in love with somebody, and you get married to the person because you love them so much, and then what happens, once that's taken place, the fruit of your marriage is what you focus on. So some people are working way too much because they're trying to provide for the family. Some people spend too much time in different areas, and then they forget their first love. And it breaks down the relationship. And then you get wandering eyes or breakdowns. What about complacency in the Bible? The greatest complacency that I've seen is the Israelites. God said to them, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to take you right out of your slavery. I'm going to take you out and I'm going to do some amazing miracles. And that's exactly what he did. He took them out. He, he parted the, the Red Sea and showed them great signs and wonders. And he promised them a wonderful place that they were going to in inherit. The promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey. And eventually they get right to the area and Joshua is going to take them through. And Joshua leads them in, and God goes ahead of them, and they defeat nations, and they defeat armies that they should never have been able to defeat, greater than them. But God said to them, when you go into these places, make sure that you annihilate every single thing that's there. Do not leave one thing left. Do not leave the people there, because they will become a snare to you. They will become a thorn in your side. No, we will never do that, God. We will destroy everything. So they go in. And when they got to the place where they conquered 
all the nations there, they sat. In fact, some of them didn't even have, in the beginning, some of them didn't even have their, their, their allotted land. They got to a place where they went, okay, we've, we, we're kings now. We've got this place. And then when it was pointed out that there's some places that you should go it into because there's still inhabitants, they said, we can't go in there because it's too difficult now. It's too much trouble now. But what we'll do is we'll just make them our slaves. Complacency. Suddenly they had what they wanted and they stopped. Complacency. And then we hear the story when Joshua dies, the very next generation, it says the generation rose up and they did not know God or his works. Why? Because of complacency. They did not do. And so that generation started mixing with the people that we had left behind. And suddenly they became idolatrous. Complacency. Do you remember the story of uh, the game that I said to you when we entered into the second half? We had victory in our nostrils. We were going to just take this whole thing down. Complacency. The church is in, currently, in an area of complacency. Because we don't believe that anything is going to take away what we have. We don't believe that freedom is going to be snatched from us. So we stand here and we think everything's going to be okay. And, and remember what complacency does for us. It actually makes us overly content with what we have. And we forget that there is an enemy on the prowl waiting to take it away from us. I want to deal with a couple of things. Are you guys okay with this? I know, you know, sometimes the word of God is hard. But it's not my word, it's Jesus' word. You have to understand that, that, you know, when the Holy Spirit, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit doesn't just bring good things. He also brings conviction. He also, he also disciplines. He also shows us the truth. And sometimes the truth is not good for us. And so we want to we wanna leave it behind and we just want to focus on the good things. But if we do that, we become complacent. And we're leaving ourselves open. So I want to bring a couple of points on complacency this morning. Complacency makes us vulnerable to the enemy. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, speak to your people, Ezekiel 33, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring a sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him a watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land, and he blows the trumpet, he's blowing the trumpet, there's an enemy coming, and if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, the blood will be on their head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. Yeah, I was talking to Bruce outside just a minute ago, and we were looking at the chess uh, down the bottom there. If you've ever played chess, it's a strategic game. You know, you, you have to think about what your enemy or your opposition is doing constantly. When you're complacent, it's like playing chess against nobody. You don't even see an enemy. You're just moving things so that you, you win easily. 
it was a complacency that led us into the position that we, s we are at the moment. But do you know that our forefathers suffered greatly for our freedom? Greatly. They suffered greatly. I mean, think about all the disciples. All of them suffered terrible deaths to get our freedom that we have. You know, remember, remember the whole idea of, 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 of complacency is that you strive for something, you pursue something passionately, and when you get it, you stop. They pursued it for us. I want to share something with you that, that may shock you. The World Evangelical, Evangelical Alliance claims over 200 million Christians worldwide are denied fundamental rights because of their faith. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, more Christians were martyred in the 1900s than all previous centuries combined. In 2,000 years of Christian faith, about 70 million believers, 70 million believers have been killed for their faith of whom 45.5 million or 65% were in the 20th century. Today, literally millions of believers face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Persecuted Christians are falsely accused, threatened, beaten, imprisoned, tortured, abused, starved, maimed, and harassed. And you know what Christians who, who face persecution say in their countries? They don't ask us to pray for persecution to stop. They say, pray that our backs are strong enough that we may endure. If you read the Word of God, the church is heading into unprecedented times. If you look around you, if you look around you and see what's happening in the world today, there's opposition coming. The Christian faith is going to come under great opposition. Already it's come under opposition in many, many parts of the world. Western world, not, not Asia or Eastern or China. We're talking about America, Canada, Australia, all the Western world. We are starting to see opposition. And you know the thing is that if you're not prepared, if you're not ready for what the enemy is doing, you will fall vulnerable. The Word of God says that many in the end times will lose their faith. Why? Vulnerable. Complacency. I'm giving you a word of God that should strengthen you. I'm giving you a word of God that says, I have to change the way I do things. I shouldn't feel judged about this. I should start to do something now. I don't have to wait for, for, for because, you know, it, this, this might happen in a hundred years' time. But if we wait, your generation that follows you are going to be vulnerable. We have to start now preparing to be a stronger people. Complacency kills conviction. It's an attitude that says, I don't have a need for a doctor because I'm well. And when the Spirit comes to convict, because I'm so overly content with who I am and what my life is, it just flies right over me. Do you know the word repentance? I don't know about you, but I don't hear it much anymore in Christian, in Christian areas. And yet 20 years ago, it was a strong, strong word that was used constantly. And so we've replaced the word repentance with forgiveness. But we don't realize that they're totally two different things. 
Forgiveness comes from God, not from me. We speak about faith and grace and all these wonderful things, but nobody speaks about repentance. Repentance is when I ask forgiveness, but I promise that I'm going to change my life. There's a big difference because if I'm just asking for forgiveness, then I'm saying, God, forgive me, but I'm not doing anything different in my life. And of course, God forgives. That's what he does. He's a forgiving God. But he also wants us to change the course of our nature. He wants us to become a a better people. But complacency numbs it down. Because I'm so pleased with who I am and what I am doing. You know, have you ever sat in the chair and and a word's brought and and you're going, wow, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that word. Boy, they need to hear that word. Not me. Because I'm good. I'm good. We're not good. We need to hear the Spirit of God. And we need to start acting on what the Spirit of God is doing in our lives. Complacency makes us listeners of the word, but not doers of the word. Ezekiel, as for you, son of man, Ezekiel 33, 30, as for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from God. My people come to you as they usually do and they sit before you to hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well. For they hear your words, but they do not put them into practice. Do you know if you want to change your life so that you start to do things? I mean, I I don't know about you, but one of the greatest things that hurts me the most is that I'm not doing what I know I should be doing. You know, it's, it's not the other things. We all know, we all have a conscience, we all know when God speaks to us that sometimes I just, just want to, it's too hard, God, I just want to leave it over there. We're not doing what we should be doing when God speaks to us. Some of these things are, are primary things and that we all should be doing them. You know, we're, we're the body of Christ. It doesn't mean that we all have to be evangelists, right? That's one, that's the toe. He does that. But somebody else is a great generous giver. And somebody else plays worship really well. And somebody else has the gift of God, prophecy. But unless the whole body is working together, that's when it becomes complacent, when it's not working together. If you want to change your complacent heart and begin to do the things that you know you should be doing, I want to say to you then, you should wear a tight shirt. Like I've got on. If you wear a tight shirt, you feel uncomfortable in it. I feel uncomfortable in this shirt. I feel like my stomach's protruding and I'm conscious of it. And so, you know what we want to do? I want to go and get a comfortable shirt that 
makes me feel okay. That's complacency. But if you keep your uncomfortable shirt on, it will cause you to change a course. It will make you change your direction. It will make you lose the weight that you don't like. Because if you, you, know, if you keep it there, I'll constantly be conscious of it. It makes me do become a, a doer of the word and not just a listener of the word. And finally, um, the musicians can come up, guys. Thank you so much. Finally, complacency kills our empathy for others. Complacency, complacency is a condition which we cannot see beyond one's own situation to recognize the plight of others. We have become so inward focused that we don't see outwards anymore. You know, there's nothing wrong, you know, when you're struggling and you're in a storm or you have issues, there's absolutely nothing wrong with bringing those things to the forefront and asking people to pray for them, asking for the healings. God wants to heal you. God is interested in your personal life. God wants to do all those things. But if that is your only focus, then we're complacent because God wants us to be outward focused too. God wants us to know what's happening in the greater scheme of things. God wants us to know what's happening in the orphanages. The Word of God says that when somebody's imprisoned for their faith, you should, you should think as if you are there with them, suffering with them. But so often we don't even know what the rest of the body Christ is doing because we're in a bubble of complacency. And God wants us to break out of this bubble, not for, not for our own sake, but for the kingdom's sake, so that we can become a stronger people for Christ, so that we can become doers of the word and not just listeners of the word, so that we can become outward focused, so that we can have empathy for other people with a genuine heart. Can we stand, please? Church, I know that this is a hard word this morning. I've been praying about this, but I, I, I just, I think most of you know my heart. I, I want you to be able to receive this word and go, okay, how can I change things in my life? I believe, I believe uh, Revelations has an answer for us. The Word of God says that you have fallen from your first love. Return to your first love. When you return to your first love, God will make everything else fall into place. You know, it, um, I, I forget which church it was. I think it's... Uh, Laodicea, it may be, uh, may be wrong. It doesn't really matter. But he's speaking to the, he's speaking in Revelation, he's speaking to the relevant church today. He's, he's looking ahead, prophetically looking at the churches. And he says, you know, I, I love the things that you're doing. I, I love the works and how passionate you are for the things of, things of God. But I have this against you. You have fallen. You, you have lost your, your first love. 
How is it possible that we're working, we're at work doing Christian things, but have lost our first love? How is that possible? Because complacency is set in, and now we're busy loving the outworkings of it, and we've forgotten to love the Creator Himself. Return to your first love. Break out of complacency. Break out of the things that are holding us back. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just want to lift up your name this morning. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring back a spirit in our lives, Lord God, that would uh, bring conviction in our lives, Lord God, because not only do you come and encourage us and bless us, but you also show us, Lord God, uh, in your way and your truth, how to become uh, stronger and greater lovers of you, Lord Jesus. Father, I bless every single person here this morning. I pray, Lord, that your spirit rests upon them in, in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining Life City Church, and we hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. If this ministry has made an impact on your life, we'd love to hear from you. Please drop us a line and share your story at thanks at lifecitychurch.com or email us your prayer needs at prayer at lifecitychurch.com. We'd love to connect with you and hear more about your story. If you love the ministry of Life City Church, you can make a financial gift to help us spread the good news of Jesus by going to lifecitychurch.com and clicking the giving tab. We hope today's message has spoken into your life and look forward to your next visit.